This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 717 with Rachel Nielsen. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 717. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Rachel Nielsen is the host of the popular parenting podcast, Three and 30 Takeaways for Moms. Each 30-minute episode gives three actionable takeaways to help women find more meaning in their unique motherhood experiences. Rachel lives in the mountains of Idaho with her husband and her two miracle children who arrived to their family through adoption and IVF. As a former high school English teacher, she loves to read, write, and talk about deep issues, which has made podcasting a perfect career for her to do from home. So Rachel and I first connected as podcasters who shared side-by-side rankings in Apple Podcasts Kids and Family Top charts. We were on those tarp charts together for years. And some might have suggested that we would be competitors, but we immediately saw each other's work as complimentary. And when we finally had the opportunity to meet in person in March of 2020, right before the world shut down, we were able to see that as colleagues and friends and confidants in this industry, that we could lean on each other and build a really special relationship that would allow us to support one another as women and as moms and as podcasters. And Oh, I treasure my relationship with Rachel so, so much. So we've talked about guesting on each other's shows for years. And to be honest, the challenge has always been about narrowing down what we would talk about, because it seems like there's so many things we could talk about for days. Like maybe we need to just have our own show, The Rachel and Sarah Show. I don't know. Rachel, I know will listen to this. So Rachel, let's talk about that. So I know that we could talk about so many things for days and days and days related to motherhood and being women and standing up for issues that we believe in so deeply. 
But when we talked about what Rachel could talk about on the show today, I asked if she might be open to talking about something deeply personal and special, the adoption of her son, Noah. And oh my goodness, I just have to say, Rachel was so thoughtful and generous in this conversation. She shared in really, really personal ways and really allowed me to see adoption in a different way that's so important, so, so critically important. And so I think that this conversation is going to be really, really eye-opening for all of our listeners. So I want you to listen in to hear Rachel share her journey into open adoption, how she honored and did her best to center her son's birth mother, Katie, throughout the process of adoption, the unfathomable grief she held for Katie the day that Noah was born, the trauma of adoption for adopted children, no matter how healthy relationships they might have with their bio parents and adoptive parents, how she and her husband navigated building and maintaining positive and healthy relationships with Noah's biological parents, Katie and Drew, how Katie's death by suicide shifted Rachel's perspective on the ethics of adoption, what her family's relationship with Drew looks like, how he is so significant and special in Noah's life to this day, and what she wants prospective adoptive parents to consider before going through the adoption process. I know you're going to learn a lot in this conversation. I know your heart is going to expand in a lot of new ways. So again, thank you to Rachel for being so thoughtful and generous in this conversation. I also want to make sure that you know that I was on Rachel's show this week on 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms as her guest this week. So make sure you also go subscribe to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms wherever you listen to podcasts. So wherever you're listening to this one. So you get two doses of Rachel and Sarah this week. And then listen to, you're going to want to look back and listen to so many other episodes in Rachel's podcast catalog. So enjoy being a subscriber to Rachel's show if you're not already. So that's over at 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms. And then also at the end, Rachel has a special invitation, her course, Five Days to More Meaning in Motherhood. And you can get that if you go to 3 and 30 podcast. The numbers are all numerical. So the number three, I-N, number three, zero, podcast.com slash SMA. So three and 30 podcast.com slash SMA. It'll all be linked up in the show notes. And you can grab Rachel's course, Five Days to More Meaning in Your Motherhood. And so with all that said, oh my goodness, please join me in welcoming Rachel Nielsen to the Shameless Mom Academy. Rachel, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh my gosh, this has been a long time coming. I know. I'm so excited to be here. I love you and I love your work. I love your show. I love the community of women that you have brought together. So I'm just honored to be here. Oh my gosh. The feeling is mutual. I love that we have these, we both have communities that are so sacred to us, but we also, I think, honor each other's work in each other's communities at such a high level, which I think is really special. I think the way that we initially got connected and you have to fill in blanks for me if I've forgotten, but I started noticing early on in my podcast or fairly early on that I was consistently ranked right next to you. And I never felt like, Oh, I want to beat her. Who's that lady? I was like, I want to know her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to be friends with her. Like you were doing these really creating space for really incredible conversations. And we also have to talk about the fact that I very seriously considered doing a show. So your show is three and 30 takeaways for moms. And I was like, I want to have a show that has three takeaways for moms in 30 minutes. Cause mom. so I had like this concept that you later ran with, that I never shared out loud. And then I was it's like, like a big magic thing. Yes. It, it's totally yeah. a big magic thing for those of you not familiar from Elizabeth Gilbert's book, big magic, where like an idea can be born, but then if someone doesn't use it, it like goes to the person who needs it. So yeah, so fascinating. So it feels really exciting to have you here after 
finding you and connecting with you and becoming friends with you. And then finally getting around to like, Hey, do you want to be on my show? I know. Right. It's about time. I know. And I remember feeling the same about you. I would do some market research and look at the other shows that were in my niche that were similarly ranked that had similar audiences. And I had the feeling too, I want to get to know her. And I think I just like cold emailed you and was like, Hey, do you want to be friends? And you were like, let's get on zoom. And we just got on and right away from the beginning, it was so open. You were so open with talking about your experience with your show. I could tell for you, it wasn't competition. It was collaboration. And I was so grateful for that. And so we've been friends ever since. And it's just been a real joy. I remember you came to something, you came to a workshop or something that I ran years ago as an attendee. Yes. And I remember knowing that you had signed up and thinking like, oh my gosh, like I have to really like do well leading this because Rachel knows her stuff. (laughs) And it was so great to have you there because you got to be there learning while I was teaching, but it also, we were like, we were on such even playing field and we still are on such even playing field professionally. And to like have that capacity was, I think it was humbling for me to be like, I want to make sure that she gets really great value out of my stuff. Yeah. And do I loved that workshop. That was, you did a phenomenal job. So, so yes, fun. I've loved learning from you. So, so fun. Okay. So when we talked about you coming on the show, there were so many different directions we could go with this conversation. And especially having become friends over the years, I was like, how do we talk about 18 things at once? And you came to me and had a really specific conversation in mind. And I was immediately really touched and really honored that this is a place that you would want to have the conversation. So we're going to be talking today about your journey through adopting Noah, your son via open adoption. So I want to touch, I want to, we're going to dig into that before we go into your whole story. Can you tell people just a little bit about your life beyond your bio and kind of what's lighting you up right now before we go back and talk about the past? Yeah. So my life beyond my bio, (laughs) I'm at a place in my life right now where I feel like I'm figuring out what I want. I feel like I'm at a crossroads where both of my kids are older now, eight and 11, and I'm deciding if I want another baby, which is something that I have wanted since Sally was born, but hasn't happened. And so now I'm kind of at this place where I'm like, do I let that dream go? Or do I really seriously pursue this? Because if I'm going to, then it's going to be a significant investment of time, energy, resources. I mean, I'd have to do IVF again. Mm -hmm. My son is adopted. My daughter was conceived with IVF. And I'm sort of trying to sort out if that is a dream that I still want or if it's okay for me to let it go, you know, and I don't know the answer yet. So that's simmering. I've been doing my podcast for five years, which is amazing. And I've loved it, but I'm also simmering there. Not that I'm done with my podcast. I'm not done with my podcast, but simmering with, you know, do I want to pivot at all? Do I want to continue doing things the way that I've done them? And even my husband in his career, he's been, he's a pediatric dentist and he's been practicing for 10 years now. And I sense he's feeling that too. Mm. Like, so I feel like we're at this season of kind of figuring ourselves out in a way. And in some ways it's kind of exhausting, but in other ways it's exciting. You know, when you asked me, what is lighting me up? What am I excited about? I'm like, well, it is kind of exciting to think about creating the next step, you know, or going for the next step in our lives. We're both, you know, my husband just turned 40. I'm right about there. And it's like, okay, we're ready to maybe figure out our next steps in life. So it's interesting. We're middle-aged, Sarah. When did that happen? Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) 
I was talking with a friend just last night about needing readers. She's like, I turned 45 and I need readers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I literally woke up yesterday with blurry vision. So yeah, we're here. Okay. So I love that you use the word simmering because I think that simmering, it like gives you permission to sit there for a moment. Like things don't simmer for short amounts of time, but also the discomfort in being there for a while, 100% feel you. Yes. (laughs) So yes, yeah. I relate yeah. to so much of that, so much of that. And I also, as our listeners know, and as you know, really, really relate to the idea of growing a family mm. and when you ha- can't do that naturally and it isn't going to happen accidentally and you know the time, money, investment, emotional toll it will take and having to decide like, okay, are we going to do this? And what are the boundaries if we decide to do it? And where do we draw the line if it doesn't work? Like so much to hold. So yeah. I'm, yes, I'm holding my mama heart is holding your mama heart as you navigate oh. all that. I know it's a lot. I want to go back and talk about your entrance into motherhood and your journey through open adoption. So can you take us back to the beginning when, when Noah joined your family and what that journey was like for you all? Yeah. So this is a long story, as you know, and I don't know how much of it you want here. So just interrupt me if I'm going, okay. if I'm going too long. I think or... we want as much as you want to give because it's okay. a really good story. So okay. we'll take what you want to give us. I'll try to make it pretty concise, but I knew from the time I was a teenager that I would struggle to get pregnant. They told me I have PCOS and endometriosis. And they told me then like, it's not impossible, but it probably won't be super straightforward. And I'm grateful that I had that warning because I was able to really process that for a lot of years before it actually came to the point that I wanted to start a family. And so I had, from the time I was a teenager, been thinking about adoption So when we decided we were ready to start our family, my husband and I decided to do infertility treatments and the adoption process at the same time. We just thought, we'll see which happens first, and that'll be the baby that's meant for us. And so I love my idealism there. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like I love that my intent there was that I want this baby to know that they weren't a plan B. You know, if they come through adoption, I don't want them to think mom and dad tried for years and years and years and then just gave up and got me, which I know that is not at all how adoptive parents feel, but that's what I wanted to avoid. And that's why I thought, let's just do it at the same time. Looking back, both of those things are incredibly emotionally intense and to take them both on at the same time was too much, but you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't, I'd never done either. And I was 26 and thought I could do anything. And so we did. So I did IUIs. I did like 11 failed cycles of IUI at the same time as doing all of the paperwork and case studies for adoption. And we had eight different adoptive moms, or we had eight different expectant moms choose us and then change their mind and decide to parent. And some of those were farther along than others. You know, some of them were just, they chose our profile from the online system. We talked to them once and then they decided that they were going to parent or that they chose a different couple to adopt their baby. So it was pretty quick. Others were more drawn out where we had long contact with them for months Mm. and then they decided that they were going to parent. And so that was a lot of up and down for me during those years. I wasn't, you know, hormonally, I was taking medications. I wasn't myself mentally or emotionally, and then to also be navigating the ups and downs of adoption. Ooh, like 
probably the hardest couple of years of my life for sure. And you were also showing up and teaching every day, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was a high school English teacher. Oh my gosh. Like show up and teach high school and like have patience and compassion for high school drama. (laughs) Yeah. And I often think back to that, that there were, my students had no idea what was going on in my personal life. And yeah, it was a really tough time, but I loved my career and a lot of ways it was my happy place, but it was difficult. I had an ectopic pregnancy in there and some different things. And I remember just having to show up at school, yep. do my job and, you know, in between classes, checking to see if I'd gotten a contact from a possible adoption match. And, you know, the kids are coming in and I'm reading this stuff. Like it was a lot. It's a so. lot to process. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah. So when Noah's birth mom, Katie contacted us, we had gone through a lot of losses before that of, or just disappointments really. And so I think my heart was a little bit more protected, but also in a good way, ready, more mature. My heart was more mature to understand that this didn't mean that this was my baby. This was her baby. And that my role was just to support her in making the best decision for her. And I wasn't as set on like, this is my baby and it's going to happen, you know, because of those disappointments I'd had, which I'm so grateful for, because as you and I are going to go into a little bit more, there's some ethical things with adoption that I hadn't really thought about before I started the adoption process. And I hadn't thought about the fact that young women would feel sort of pressured or coerced into placing their babies for adoption. Like that had never occurred to me. And so going through this process with these other women that had changed their minds and recognizing that was their right to change their minds and that Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they made the best decision for them and for their baby helped prepare me to, I think, support Katie in a better way. Once she came into our lives, she was 16 at the time. She was 17 when she had Noah and she just didn't feel ready yet to be a mother. She came from a supportive family that I know would have supported her had she made the decision to parent, but she really felt like this was uh, what she wanted. And I really tried to make sure that it was what she wanted and not that she was feeling pressure from us or anyone else in the way that I supported her over. She was 16 weeks when she contacted me or so I met her around 20 weeks. I was actually there for the 20 week ultrasound. And then, so that was a long, I mean, from 16 weeks on a long time to really get to know her deeply and love her and support her all the while knowing that this is her baby And at the end of this, if she decides to parent, you know, I need to be emotionally prepared to start again with fertility treatments or with another expectant mom. And that was emotional and difficult. And I'd like to say that I handled it with perfect grace all the time and I never made it about me, but that would be a lie. There were plenty of times when I made it about me and I luckily I didn't take that to her. I took that to my sister's. I actually didn't have a therapist at the time, which is insane. And that would be my <laughs> my first advice to anyone going through this would be get a good wow. therapist. But I talked a lot with my best friends. I prayed. I did the work that I needed to do to try to center her in the experience instead of myself. Which is like so. an incredibly emotionally mature approach at a rather young age. 
I feel like a 45 year old mom could do that in a different way with like the lived experience and like the, just having been through more things, but like, that's just a lot. To, like you were really mothering her. And I talk about this a lot that women who go through infertility are mothers before they actually have babies in their arms. Like you mm-hmm. were really owning the role of mother to her, which is like holding, like, I'm going to support her at the expense of my own needs. And then also hold, like, try to hold a lot of hope, but not ever convey that to her, which is a massive load. Yeah. And I did not do it perfectly. And when I look back, there's things that would I do them now? I don't know. You know, I was there when Noah was born. I was in the delivery room, which was the most sacred experience of my life by far to see your child come into the world. And Katie and asked and insisted that I be the first to hold him, Mm. which was so incredibly, I mean, sacred is the only word I can use to describe it like holy. And we have pictures of me rushing over. I mean, I'm holding, and he's still, you know, he's brand fresh out of the, out of the (laughs) womb and I'm rushing over to show exactly (laughs) to show Katie. And we're both together, just like (laughs) ooing over this baby, you know, and most special experience of my life by far. And also, Mm. was it really appropriate for me to be in that room? Was that an added level of pressure for her? I don't know. And these are questions I never considered until later Mm. that, Mm. you know, we stayed in the hospital room right next to them, which was again, so, so special. But should that time have just been hers with Noah? Mm. Should she not have had that additional pressure of having us right there? I don't know. And like, these are questions that I kind of need to grapple with. But if I were to ever do adoption again, I think I would be even more careful about Mm -hmm. our involvement and really making sure that the expectant mom felt the support and that it wasn't about us in any way until after she was sure about her decision and had signed those papers. So it is incredibly complex. I mean, I will tell you, I had a moment after Noah was born where she asked me to take him to our room because she wanted to get some sleep and I was holding him. I was doing some skin to skin time with him and was, I mean, just started sobbing so uncontrollably. I have never sobbed like that before or since just racked with grief for her Mm. of like, I just watched her bring this baby into the world. And I just saying to my husband, how will she do this? Yeah. How, and should she have to do this? Like why? And it was so much emotion that I had never experienced. And I actually had to hand Noah to Ryan because I couldn't bond with this baby yet. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even fathom the experience that she would be going through with placing her baby for adoption. Mm -hmm. And anybody listening, if you've you know, you're most likely a mother if you're listening to the Shameless Mom Academy, although maybe some women listen who aren't. Can you imagine that? Like, you know, we've gone through the experience, many of us of having children. Can you imagine then placing that baby with another family? It's unfathomable and it is such a deep act of love. And also, I wish it's something that women did not have to do. I wish that we lived in a world where young mothers felt supported enough that if they wanted to, they felt that they could parent their baby and that they would be supported by their communities and that they could get the education and the financial Mm -hmm. support. I'm all about if it's what women truly want, that they're like, I am not yet ready to be a mother or I'm not able to care for this child in a way that 
I want to do, that adoption is wonderful. But if they're doing it because they think they should, or mm-hmm. they're not enough in some way for that baby, yeah, that is something that I didn't consider when I started the adoption process that now that I'm a mother, I think I want every woman to know that she's enough for her baby. Yeah. You know, whether she's 17 or older, I want her to know that if it's what she wants, that she can do it and that she'll have a support system. And so there's times when I've wondered, did we let Katie know that? Did we encourage her in the right ways? Did we support her in the right ways? And it's really gotten me interested in doing more advocacy work for under-resourced mothers Mm -hmm. and just diving more deeply into sort of the ethical complications that come with adoption. So that's a lot. I just gave you a lot, but that it's all helpful though. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. One of the things that just really front and center for me is And when we were talking before we started recording, this came up as well. I knew the direction you were going to go with this and society centers adoptive parents when we talk about adoption. And so Mm -hmm. we don't center biological birth parents, biological parents. And please, I should have said this at the beginning. If I use any words or terminology that we don't use anymore, please correct me at any point. Yeah, no, (laughs) you're doing, you're doing um, great. Because I always want to learn and I know things change, but so we don't center birth mothers and the level of trauma is immense, immense, immense. And, and I don't know a ton of adoptive parents to know if everyone has that moment that you had where you sit and you agree, 
where you grieve for the mother who is losing something versus celebrating for yourself. And I would imagine it's always, I I would imagine there's always a lot of conflicting emotions in that moment, but the way you explained it and you just held space for that was so powerful and overwhelming. I mean, obviously overwhelming to you, but even just listening, I was like, oh my gosh, I I was feeling flooded with emotion hearing about you have that experience. I think it's a really eye-opening piece of this that we don't talk about enough. And I think that it's an important thing to look at that. What are the parts of this process? Who is centered at each stage and what is cause, what causes has the potential to cause harm? And then how do we maybe shift focus or change how things are done to address that? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned conflicting emotions and I don't know that there's anything, Mm. at least in my life, there hasn't been anything that has brought up more conflicting emotions Mm -hmm. and also taught me that two things can be true. You can hold both emotions at the same time, that that's part of the human experience, you know, and that I could be deeply grieving for her and celebrating for myself at the same time, but also that there needs to be an appropriate balance there and a time and a place to celebrate for yourself, you know, and should we have been at the hospital there with, you know, having, we didn't have a ton of people coming or anything, but my in-laws did come and meet the baby. Katie is actually my husband's second cousin. So they're, you know, my in-laws are related to Katie. So it felt appropriate, but still it's like, you know, just holding both of those with open adoption, holding the fact that my son deeply loves, fiercely loves his birth parents and also fiercely loves us, his parents, Mm -hmm. his adopted parents, that both things can be true, that he can grieve for the fact that he was placed for adoption Mm -hmm. and also be grateful for the life that he has. Like both, all of those things can be true. And the longer that I've lived as an adoptive mom, which is only 11 years, I'm sure these lessons will be come even more evolved over time. But the more I've realized that every adoption needs to be grieved, like every adoptive child will grieve in some way or another, in some form or another, because of this loss in their life. It is a loss that they aren't being raised with their biological family. You mentioned the trauma to birth parents. It's incredibly real. And it's incredibly real for adopted children, no matter how wonderful their, their family is. I like they, it is trauma to be Mm -hmm. separated from your biological family. And that can be minimized with openness, with open adoption. And I think we're going to go a little bit into how we've had an open adoption, but I give my son permission. I talk to him about this as well as just in my heart. I give him permission to have whatever feelings he has about his adoption throughout his life, to process that trauma in whatever way he needs to. And I have promised myself that I will do the work to not take it personally you know, that this isn't about me. This is about him and his journey and his grief. And if he deeply mourns the fact that he was placed for adoption, it does not mean that he does not love me, you know, but these are complicated things (laughs) that you have to hold as an adoptive mom that I did not. I think I just thought like, oh, you adopt a baby and it's butterflies and rainbows. And And you like sign some papers. (laughs) Yes. And it's not a mortgage. I know. And that is the narrative that the world gives. They'll say, you know, oh, that baby's so lucky to have you as his parents. And again, you said centering the adoptive family when really it's like, no, that baby went through a tremendous loss. And Noah's first grade teacher said to me, she forever won me in her heart when she said this to me. She said, 
I know you went through so much to get your babies, but man, you are so lucky to have him as your little boy mm. or something. The way she said it reversed it instead of saying yeah. he was lucky to have us. Right. Right. Which is what most people say. Yeah. Yeah. He said, you are so lucky to have yeah. him. Yeah. And it just like brought so much. It brought tears to my eyes. If she yeah. gets it, like yeah. this little boy is a miracle and we, and his birth parents were all so lucky to have him, you know, and what he's brought to both of our families has been so incredible. And open adoption has been an incredibly amazing blessing in our lives as we've continued to have contact with both his birth mom's family and his birth dad's. And it's been amazing to have that in our lives. Oh, so much in there. <clears throat> I appreciate the, and I think this is another piece that I also <laughs> just assumed like didn't exist if it's an open adoption and everyone agrees to it. And then like, then the child doesn't have to feel rejected and everyone's happy and you move out about with your life. And you've just like totally blown open all these misconceptions about how kind of clean and simple and transactional mm. this is. It's not transactional. Like this is no. a life experience with people and trauma and emotion and that and lots of conflicting emotion. Um, and I so appreciate the like level of nuance and detail that I think we miss from as outsiders. And that I think are just all, everything you said is so significant. I want to know and dig into a little bit what, how you went from being in that room and holding Noah and holding that grief for Katie, and then to transitioning into recognizing this is a child that you get to raise Mm -hmm. and being conscientious about maintaining relationships with Katie and Noah's biological father. Mm -hmm. Drew is his name. I was going to say his name is totally escaping me right now. Yes. Yes, Drew, Katie and Drew. Yeah. As is this whole process, it was not easy to figure out that relationship and how we would navigate it. We knew we wanted openness. I knew that I was even before we started the adoption process. I thought, well, I think the best thing for the baby would be to know where they came from, who their biological family is, kind of have a sense of their roots and their legacy If that's something that the birth parents are open to, that's what I want for the baby. And that is what Katie and Drew wanted. But you don't know beforehand how you're going to feel. So it's not like before the baby's born, you can sit down and be like, okay, we will have contact on these key dates and because it evolves. And some people, I think, do outline sort of an agreement like that before, but open adoption isn't defined like that. It's not like when you say we're entering into into an open adoption, that means a certain amount of contact. Mm -hmm. In general, it's, it's very, it's an act of trust for those birth parents to believe you when you say we will have an open adoption, like, cause there's really no guarantee. And also I don't think Katie really knew how much her heart would be able to take. She knew she wanted openness, but did she want to see pictures of him all the time or would that be painful? Did she want more separation? You know, I was a brand new mom and all brand new moms are insecure and don't know what they're doing. And so when you add to that, this sense of like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm insecure. And like, do I kind of need to like prove that this was the right choice that she made, that I'm like doing awesome, you know? And so I'm navigating that she's navigating her grief and we really just did it. I think, I hope with a lot of respect um, and just communication of 
How are you doing? What are you emotionally wanting and needing right now? Is this painful for you to see the pictures? Do you like to see the pictures? And we had developed this relationship over many months, you know, Mm -hmm. of the pregnancy. We were very, very good friends. Um, And I mean, almost, I feel like I was kind of a big sister role to her. I was 10 years older than her. And, but it was difficult. And there were times when I felt possessive and I'm not proud of that, but there were times when she would post pictures of Noah on social media and say, you know, I miss my baby and I'd see that and I'd feel possessive and yeah, but then it's also completely normal. Right. I was going to say like, oh, of course she does. And of course, that's so much to hold. (laughs) It's so much to hold. And, but such an amazing exercise in processing emotions, Mm -hmm. but this is when I finally went to therapy. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been going ever since and I've never stopped processing. Okay. How do I feel about this? Why do I feel this way? Who do I want to show up as in this relationship? You know, and I just feel like we really came to a beautiful place of mutual respect and peace within our open adoption. That was hard fought. It really was figuring out how much we would see each other, how much, you know, was good for all of us. And it ebbed and flowed over the years, but typically birthdays, we always did birthdays together. And then a couple other times per year, we would see each other. We text often, you know, um, that was an easy, you know, no, was born texting was, I didn't even have a smartphone yet, but a few years later, it was easy to communicate that way. And I found it such a joy to have someone that I could share him with that loved him in the same way that I did. And not just Katie drew to and their families, you know, they thought he was the cutest, most adorable, smartest boy in the whole world. The way that all moms do. Which of course he was. (laughs) Yeah. And so it was fun for me to be like, you will never believe what this child did today. And he's really spunky and strong-willed and I mean, kind of (laughs) hard. The way that Katie is, he inherited that, like Mm. that little rebel nature. And she like got such a kick out of that, you know, like seeing herself in this baby, in this toddler and child, we would all just kind of chuckle at his like spirit that came from her, her spiritedness. Mm. But I'm using, I'm using past tense here and listeners will maybe wondering about that. So this is the hardest part of our story by far, but Katie really struggled with mental illness and the last few, well, starting when a, I think it was always, she always struggled with mental illness. It was largely undiagnosed until Noah was about four. And then she really struggled and was in and out of hospital. Sometimes um, we were in constant contact, talked often. And when Noah was about six, she passed away from suicide. Mm-hmm. And so this added a whole nother level of emotion to this and nuance and complication to this whole experience, because I had to really sit with and grapple with, did adoption make her life better or did it make her life worse? Mm. You know, did the trauma from placing her baby for adoption make her mental health worse? And I don't know. I don't know the answers to these questions, but I feel like it's, it's only right that we think about these things when we talk about emotional wellness within adoption and supporting birth mothers better and giving them the resources and support that they need. And I grieved and continue to grieve so hard for that loss. I lost my mom as a teenager. I I have experienced death and immense loss. And that 
loss is like nothing. Suicide is like nothing else I had ever experienced. There's so many questions Mm -hmm. and emotions that my mom passed away from breast cancer. Like that's just a totally different loss than suicide. Mm -hmm. And there are things we'll wonder about for the rest of our lives. There will never be answers to, you know, Mm -hmm. about her mental health. And it's just going to be part of Noah's story. I sometimes think about how I feel like he lost his birth mother twice. He lost her Mm -hmm. when he was placed for adoption. And then he lost her again when she passed away and how to help him navigate and understand that. And I don't have neat and clean answers and that's okay. I wouldn't want to just tie this up in a bow for him and try to like explain away or make it neat and tidy. But I have to recognize that I'm going to need to be there for my son in whatever way he needs me to be as he processes this throughout his life. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a challenge. So that's a lot about our story (laughs) and all of the complication that has gone into it. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. What a huge turn for a story to take and life circumstances to take when you have felt like you've been really conscientious about and thoughtful and so intentional about really building strong relationships and creating healthy spaces for you to all be family in such a unique way that brought meaning to to all of your lives. So I think that probably just adds to the, another layer to the devastation that Mm -hmm. you worked really hard to make this something that was to make this family something really special for everyone. And mm-hmm. how that would leave so many questions. And I'm so incredibly sorry for your loss and for Noah's loss. Of course, I know that on the other side of that, that 
Drew has been involved in his life and continues to be involved in his life and has really been significant to him and to Noah and to all of you in a really significant way. Can you talk a little bit about, I love the way that you talk about like sharing stories with Katie and Drew when Noah was little and like sending pictures. Cause I think that we can all relate to like texting a picture to someone in your family and being like, isn't my kid just the cutest. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, yes, of course. How has that continued to play out as Noah's gotten older and that relationship has bloomed? Yeah. I mean, Drew is just so incredibly special. Like there's just no words to capture. He was in the delivery room as well when Noah was born and he was 18, so young and like just such a rock star supporting Katie through the actual like labor process. I mean, he was right there. And when after Noah was born and we're all, you know, cooing over this baby. And I think at this point I had handed Noah to Katie and Katie was feeding him and Drew was kind of in the background, you know, as a birth dad, they're just kind of not the center of attention in that whole scene. And he approached me with just tears and said, can I please be a part of his life? And I said, absolutely. And he hugged me so tight and that he has lived up to that more than I ever could have imagined. Like this, he is Noah's favorite person. I mean, he's like, you know, he comes and sees us twice a year for Noah's birthday and then once in the winter to ski and they ski and snowboard together. And they're just like the best of friends. Like they just, Mm -hmm. he's like a big brother or like a cool uncle to Noah. I mean, Noah definitely knows that he's his birth dad, but it's like, they play video games together. They play, what is that ridiculous war game that they play for hours? Oh, I can't even think of it right now. It's a long World War II game, like where it's all this strategy and they'll sit and play that for oh, hours. I know the um, game. Is it Stratego? No, it's not yeah. Stratego. It's, it will come to I me. I feel like I know the game you're talking the, about. The minute we end this podcast, yeah. <laughs> it'll come to me. And Drew is just such a positive role model in his life. Like when Noah's being mean to his little sister, Drew will be like, not cool, Noah. Like he just, <laughs> he's not a father figure. He's like a cool older brother figure. Yeah. That's really, yeah. and like Noah just thinks the world of him. And I am just so grateful that Noah has somebody else in his life cheering him on, championing Mm -hmm. him, mentoring him, teaching him what it looks like to be a good man. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we're still really close to Katie's family and, and to Drew's family. And so it's not just the individuals it's, you know, Katie's family comes to our area to ski once a year too. And Noah goes and skis with them without me. He, Mm -hmm. as he's gotten older, I've really tried to prioritize him having a relationship with them independent of me. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be like the gatekeeper of it all, you know? And so, and he loves his relationships with Mm -hmm. their extended families. He went on a camping trip this summer with Drew's family, just him and Drew's extended family. And I just hope that it, is really building a sense in him of roots of knowing who he is and where he comes from and that he can take the best of both of these families that he's, or, you know, that he's a part of his, his adoptive family, his family, us, and then his birth families. And so it's just been really, really special. And I would not trade it for anything. You know, an open adoption has been really difficult to navigate at times, but the rewards have been, Oh, so worth it. And I would do it the same way a hundred times over. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so, so grateful. I've learned that love 
isn't limited, that love doesn't, it's not like a limited commodity that needs to be possessed or guarded. You know, if my son loves his birth parents, does that mean he loves us less? That's not the way love works. Like love is endless. And the more love that a child has in their life, the better. Mm -hmm. And nothing has taught that to me more than open adoption. And my biological daughter who was conceived through IVF, she really wishes she had birth families that were, (laughs) she wishes she wants Drew to be her birth dad. And when she was younger, she would get mad when we tell her, no, he's not your birth dad. He is my birth dad. Oh my gosh. I love it. (laughs) So we're like, you can call him uncle Drew or, you know, like he's very, he has a special relationship with you, but he's Noah's birth dad, you know? And so it's just been a really amazing dynamic that has played out in our family over the years. I love how the story honors that families can look like a million different things. Yes. And we often can't imagine how a family could be defined until we hear stories like this. And then you can see how families can exist in such creative ways that can be so affirming to everyone who's part of the family. And I think that it opens I think having that understand, seeing that, seeing that through other people's stories expands all of our capacities to imagine what family can be and how powerful that can be for everyone involved and how Noah's life is so exponentially greater because of the relationship he has with Drew and because the relationship he got to have with Katie and the work that you put into that, like really hard work and then just massive, massive reward in terms of love for all of you. Yeah, absolutely. And one moment that I wanted to share, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly anywhere, but it was such a special moment for me. Drew actually has also lost a parent. So Drew's dad passed away when he was a teenager. Mm. And so we're all very familiar with loss. And Drew came, went skiing with Noah, and we were all together eating pizza at a restaurant after. And I said, This just feels so perfect. The only thing that would make this better is if Katie were here. Mm -hmm. And I really want to always include and remember and honor and bring her up and talk about her. And I said, I just wish that Katie could be here. And Noah said, I do too. And it helps me to know that she's in heaven with your mom, mom. And Drew said, and with my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was this moment where I realized I don't think I'd put the puzzle pieces together that like all of us have lost a parent in this relationship and we know loss and grief. And maybe that means that we it helps us to love in a different way than we might otherwise have had the ability to, you know, and it just really reassured me that Noah has people in his life that have also lost parents and he's going to be okay, you know, and he Mm -hmm. can talk to Drew about what it's like to lose a parent. And that's also losing Katie was an immense loss for Drew too. They were not together at that time, but he deeply loved her, you know, Mm -hmm. and they were good friends always. And so I'm just so grateful that he has that, that Noah has that support system that he'll be able, I hope, be able to really process this loss and this grief throughout his life. And I just, I will never be able to put into words how thankful I am for Drew and for his impact that he's had in Noah's life. For people who can't see us on camera, I've spent the entire episode with like tears in my eyes. And so like (laughs) continually having to like refocus myself so I don't just like tears of like joy and then sorrow. <laughs> like, I know it's so, that's adoption. It's, so, it's all of it. Oh my it's all gosh. Of it, all there's, together. This in, 
there's this intensity. <laughs> I know, <laughs> so it's, which is why I had a frog in my throat. So any last words that you want to leave for listeners, anyone who might be considering open adoption or maybe knowing other families who are considering open adoption, I think that your perspective to me, your perspective is very unique and really special. And I also think really, really important. Is there anything that you want to leave folks who might be again, either considering open adoption or know other people who are, who might, might pass this conversation along to them? Yeah. I would say, first of all, that this goes without saying, but this is my experience. This is a unique personal experience and not every adoption is going to look like this or even can look like this, depending on the wants and desires of the biological parents of where they're at in their life. But I would say to anybody considering adoption that open adoption will deeply bless your life. And I think when I knew I wanted it for Noah, I didn't know that I needed it for me. Like when I started off, I was like, we'll do this because it'll be best for the baby and it'll probably be best for the birth parents. And, but it'll be hard for me, but I'll do it. You know, that's kind of as like, as a, (laughs) you know, before we ever started the adoption process, that's kind of how I was feeling. And I didn't realize how much it would bless my life to have these relationships and how much I would learn about love. And yes, it was hard for me and it stretched me. And it still does sometimes, not really so much anymore. Mostly it's just joy now, but for the first while it did. Yeah. And it was so worth it because of what I learned about love and about humanity and about holding two conflicting things at the same time. And just the richness of these relationships and what I have learned from Katie and Drew and their families has been Mm -hmm. so, so powerful. And so I would just encourage anybody who's listening, who's considering adoption to not be afraid of, it seems like a big, scary thing to have an open adoption. You don't need to be afraid. And I would really encourage you to center the expectant parents in your experience, to do all of the work that you need to do so that you can be in an emotional place where you are not making it about you. You are thinking about them and their experience, their needs, their, how you can support them so that, you know, we can have ethical adoptions. You know, I've struggled with infertility ever since my daughter was born. I could have adopted again. Honestly, I'm, I think I'm, a little bit afraid to because of the ethical stuff that I have realized since Noah was born. And that's not to say that nobody should adopt. They just need to be really careful that it's done in a way that is honoring those birth parents and honoring those children who are going to come into their home through adoption. So those would be my final words. If anybody is supporting someone who is going through adoption, I would just encourage you to be a safe place for them to process some of this messy stuff and to let them talk it out with you. If you do have contact with their expectant parent or with their child's birth parent, to just be careful of the things you say that you're not saying things like, oh, you know, this is so selfless of you. They're going to have such a better life Mm -hmm. with this other family or You know, those are common things that people say sometimes to birth mothers. I was with Katie sometimes when people said stuff like that to her and it hurt. It's a stab. It's like I said earlier, who's to say that that's true or accurate. It's I want every woman to feel that she is enough and to make a decision based out of enoughness, not out of a sense of scarcity and I can't do it and I'm not enough. And so anybody surrounding somebody who's considering adoption 
please keep that in mind in the way that you talk about adoption and that you talk to that person and that you talk to an adopted child. And I think that we'll slowly be able to hopefully build a world where adoption is really ethically and lovingly done for the families that it needs to happen for. Thank you for that. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I'm showing up as a shameless mom by supporting Noah in all of his diverse and varied needs without being ashamed of him. So I don't know, that's kind of complex, but you know, as a mom, sometimes it's, sometimes you're embarrassed (laughs) by your children or you're tempted to be. And like, when I read, I knew you would ask me this question. I thought, how am I being shameless? I'm, I'm being shameless by not being ashamed of Noah's needs because Mm -hmm. Noah does have some big needs. And sometimes I do wonder if they come from some of the trauma, even though he was adopted at birth, Mm-hmm. You know, some of his big sensory needs, he has, he's neurodivergent and maybe that would have happened regardless. But yeah. sometimes I wonder, you know, is this the result of some of that experience? Who knows? But mm-hmm. this is a unique child and I don't need to be ashamed of any of his behaviors. I don't need to worry about other people judging me or my parenting based on those behaviors. All I need to do is just love and support and champion this child and allow him to be him and help him find resources to support him in all of the ways that he needs it. And so that's how I am being a shameless mom. Oh my goodness. Thank you for that really powerful answer. That is very relatable. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all, I think especially high achieving perfectionistic kind of women who I tend to attract and you tend to attract, and we both are. Um, it's really hard to separate our own identity from our children's behavior in public places, especially (laughs) for that. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Rachel, tell people where can they find you? Where can they listen to your podcast, connect with you, any resources that you want to share all of the goodies. So my podcast is three and 30 takeaways for moms, three takeaways in a 30 minute episode. I always try to make it really actionable. And although we talked today a lot about adoption and infertility, that's not the focus of my show. My show is just about motherhood in general. I'd like to give strategies that help you to, I say, love motherhood as much as you love your children. Because mm. we all know we love our children, but sometimes loving motherhood is a lot harder. I do touch on adoption and infertility occasionally because that's been part of my story, but that's not the focus of the show. And I'd say if people want a place to start, I have a mini course. It's five days to more meaning in your motherhood. And I'm going to create a unique link. This is free, but I'll create a unique link for the Shameless Mom Academy listeners. You can go to 3 and 30 podcastcom slash SMA. And I'll have that there. And it's just a little email course that introduces you to a few of my most popular episodes, most impactful episodes about making more meaning in your motherhood with an accompanying like worksheet to help you to actually take action on what you learned. So it's a simple way to get started with my work, introduced to my show. And I hope that um, some of your listeners will come on over. I love it. Your show is amazing and incredible and you have incredible guests and you are so conscientious of making things tangible and really, I mean, the, in the title it's takeaways for moms. You are so thoughtful about making sure that there's takeaways. And I was laughing when I sent in my information to be on your show and you were like, yes, this is lovely. And what are the, how, like, what are your three hows? Cause I was like, here's three reasons that blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yes, thank you. What are the hows? So you're, anytime someone listens to an episode, they're very consistently taking away three tangible things that they can really implement and walk away with to improve their day or their life or that moment um, really immediately, which is so valuable. So we will link everything in the show notes. Um, if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with 
Rachel Nielsen. We'll have everything linked up right there. And oh my goodness, Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for trusting me with your story and the space that we held today for Noah and for Katie and for Drew and for your entire family for Ryan and Sally as well. And Petra, your adorable dog. (laughs) I appreciate you so much. And I really appreciate all the ways that you show up in the world, just beyond words. Well, thank you for being a safe place. I've actually never had this in-depth of a conversation about the ethics of adoption because it's tricky. It's tricky to talk about. I've never had this conversation publicly. And when I thought about your show, I thought Sarah would be a safe place and her community would be a safe place for me to have this discussion. So thank you for cultivating that and for being my friend. And I'm just so grateful to have been able to come on your show. Oh my goodness. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.